Good morning, Hillcrest. How are y'all today? Good? Wasn't this great worship that we had this morning, worshiping the Lord? So thankful for our worship ministry that ministers the gospel and song, Amazing Grace. That's why God sent his son. Uh, Beautiful worship this morning. I'm very thankful and pleased to be with you today. Uh, Pastor Jim, our senior pastor, is at Spanish Trail today ministering the gospel uh, there. And so you stuck with me today. So uh, we will be... All right. All right. Um, We'll be continuing in the series in the book of Jonah today in chapter three of Jonah, and that'll be in your pew Bible there on page 727. We'll follow right on along in the series. And I just gotta begin by saying to y'all, there's a burden on my heart this morning as we look at a passage like this because I know while we are gathered here worshiping the Lord, singing his praises, in this very city and all around where we live and work, there are lots of people who do not know the Lord that are on their way to hell. And the only thing standing between a sinner and the eternal flames of hell is one disciple sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Y'all believe that? The only hope for a dark and dying world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the plan that God has to get that out into the world is us. It's in this room. We are the vessels of reconciliation. Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 5, he's giving us the ministry of reconciliation. God himself pleading with sinners through us be reconciled to God. Right before Jesus ascended, He gave his disciples one final charge, we call it the Great Commission, and there is no plan B, there is no alternative option. It's us, it's disciples making disciples. And so for today, what we'll do is we'll look at this this notion of God using one life to change the world around us. Never underestimate what God will do through one life totally devoted to him. And so we've been in Jonah, as I've said, and what we've seen so far is that God sent this man who is a prophet with a message to a people that he'd never gone to before. He knew who the people were, but he didn't have the best relationship with them. And so rather than obey the Lord, Jonah disobeyed, and we know the story. He finds himself in the belly of a great fish. And as we saw last week in Pastor Jim's sermon on the undeserved gift of a second chance, he found repentance in that belly. And God gave him another chance to follow him. And so we'll pick up the narrative here in chapter three, looking at the subject of the grace of God. And what I hope to do today is hold up the diamond of God's grace and turn it and look at the different facets that we see in it. We'll see the grace of God to Jonah, the grace of God in Jonah, and then finally, the grace of God through Jonah. This chapter, chapter three, shows us that God resends Jonah and the Ninevites repent 
all because of the amazing grace of God. And the main point of today's sermon is simply this, God does amazing things through one life that's totally committed to him. Our God does amazing things when one disciple decides they're gonna be obedient to the Lord. Do y'all believe that? Let's look at the text together. Jonah chapter three, let's look at verses one and two. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. These words are virtually identical to the words in Jonah chapter one when he receives the first call. All except for this phrase, the second time. And the fact that the Lord sends Jonah again is instructive to us as we study the grace of God because what we should be asking ourselves whenever we come to a narrative passage like the book of Jonah is, or any passage in the book of Bible, of the Bible is what is the main character doing? <clears throat> and the main character of the Bible and especially of the book of Jonah is not Jonah. It's the Lord. And so whenever we read a chapter of Jonah, we should be asking ourselves, what is the Lord doing here? In chapter one, he's sending his prophet. And in chapter two, he's disciplining his prophet. But here, he's giving grace to his prophet. And Wayne Grudem, I think, defines grace as concisely as can be when he says God's grace is his kindness toward those who deserve only punishment. If you want a simple definition of what grace is, you might wanna write that down. God's grace is God's kindness to those who deserve only punishment. Now, help me out. How many people fall into that category? I think all of us, right? The Bible will say, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, Isaiah 53. Or Romans chapter three, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's precisely what Jonah forgot. That's the lesson he needed to learn because God's grace is for those who don't deserve it. He thought he was better than the Ninevites. He thought his people were superior than all the others. So much so that they almost deserved God's grace, which is paradoxical. How can you deserve something that you by definition cannot deserve? No, the truth is we are sinners. The Ninevites were sinners, but so were the Israelites and so was Jonah. And his round trip in the belly of the fish reminded him of that. And now by the time we reach chapter three, he is ready to be of service to God. And I would argue and I would say only a disciple who knows what he or she is apart from grace is one who's ready to be of service to God. Only a person who can look and see there but for the grace of God go I. 
Only a person who speaks like that is ready to be useful to the Lord. And now Jonah is such a man. It is as he is thinking as the apostle Paul when he speaks in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save what kind of people? Sinners of whom I am chief. It is as though Jonah is now singing the words of that great hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. All of that is bound up in the opening words of chapter three, Jonah, when it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Is there anyone here who's thankful that God speaks to us the second time? Let me speak a word to those among us today who perhaps feel they're disqualified from being useful to God because of their failures or their sin. And just say, you're, in fact, the type of instrument that God is most likely to use. I'm reminded of a wee little man. Are we near vacation Bible school time? Is that, is that close around the corner? There was a wee little man in Luke 19 who wanted to see the Lord. And so he climbed up in a sycamore tree because the Lord was coming that way. But this wasn't just an ordinary man, this was a lost man. In fact, he was a notoriously lost man. He was a chief tax collector. He had extorted lots of money from people, very sinful, hated in the community. And the Lord came and when he got to the place, the Bible says he looked up and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. Today I'm gonna stay at your house. And Zacchaeus is, happy he's joyful he's repentant he says lord if i've if i've extorted anybody i'll give it back not just one time two times three times i'll give it back fourfold i want to be right with you he repented and jesus says this man is a son of abraham that means he's a believer he's saved today in this verse in luke 19 verse 10 beautiful statement from the lips of our lord He says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. I wonder if there's anyone here today who's thankful that the son of man saves sinners. I'm reminded of another man, Saul of Tarsus, a a very hateful man, angry, zealous for the law. The first time we meet him in scripture, he's holding the coats of those who are stoning Stephen. He's consenting to his death. And in Acts chapter nine, the Bible says, as he is going to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus is breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. And if all of us were to look at a man like that, we'd say very unlikely that God would use a man like that. A persecutor of the church, a hater of the disciples of Christ. And yet, in an instant, God 
saved that man. He received grace from God and light shone from heaven and he talked with the Lord and the Lord radically transformed his life such that when you hold your Bibles, a great portion of your New Testament is written by the saved sinner, Apostle Paul. It's likely that we wouldn't even be here if it weren't for the ministry of Paul to the Gentiles, which is probably most of us here. Never underestimate what God can do and what he will do through the life of one person totally committed to him. I'll give you one more. That scoundrel, Eric Mitchell, a sinner, sitting in a church like this, listening to sermons every week, religious, but lost, knowing about Jesus, but never knowing him personally in his heart. Until one day, this man, Eric Mitchell, heard the gospel and was called to repentance. I know God saves sinners because he saved me. And the only reason why I'm standing here before you today is because of the grace of God. That's my testimony. That's Paul's testimony and Zacchaeus' testimony and Jonah's testimony. But is it yours? Do you have a testimony regarding the Lord's calling you out of darkness into his marvelous light? If you're saved today, say amen. amen. What will you do with that testimony? Because God's grace to us, as we will see in a moment, is meant to do something through us. And God resends Jonah to show us that God does amazing things through one life that is totally committed to him. It's meant to do something. And that leads us to our next observation of grace, which is the grace of God in Jonah. The grace of God in Jonah is seen in that Jonah obeys the Lord. Let's look at verse three together. So Jonah arose, he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. If this book were titled by your name and it was about your life, how would it read? How would that verse read? Would it say, Something like this, so Jeremy arose and went to Rygate, England. Is Jeremy in the house? According to the word of the Lord. Or, so Kathy arose and went to Germany according to the word of the Lord. Or, so Susan arose and went across the street to her unsaved neighbor according to the word of the Lord. What would it say? about you if this were a narrative of your life. Notice with me that the grace of God in Jonah's life led to his obedience. Look at verse four. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
Behold the amazing grace of God in this man's life. Uh, Pastor Jim has been preaching through this book and he said on several occasions that Jonah had a heart problem against the people to whom he was sent. There was bigotry there, there was racism there. He hated the Ninevites. Not only were they different, they were violent people. No doubt they attacked the Israelites. They were bloodthirsty. They were hateful. It would not be a stretch to say it's something like an American evangelical missionary going to the heart of Afghanistan where Al-Qaeda is set up and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through the means of grace, preaching to those who have attacked your own country. It's something like that. He had hatred in his heart. And yet, what we see in chapter three is a man whose the grace of God is gonna work in him, in his heart. He's in their city, and he's boldly proclaiming the word of God to these people. He's committed. And it's evident that God's grace is at work in him because he's obedient. The point here is that the evidence of grace in your life and in mine is seen by our obedience to God. So let me ask you a question. If you are saved by God's grace, how has it changed your life? Or said another way, has the grace of God to you done an amazing work in you? Do you love people that you once hated? Do you obey God in ways that perhaps before you did not? Grace is not meant for us to just hoard and receive without action. It should change our hearts, it should change our life and that's what it did in the life of Jonah. Robbie Gallaty, a pastor that I greatly admire, he has a ministry at Long Hollow Baptist Church in Tennessee He's been the senior pastor there since 2015, but he wasn't always a pastor. I'm gonna give you some, uh, his testimony right off of their website. It says there that for three years he battled a drug addiction that ravaged his life. He had a $180 a day heroin and cocaine addiction. And he eventually stole $15,000 from his parents. After living without gas, electricity, and water for months, he saw eight of his friends lose their lives to drug-related deaths. He watched six of his friends arrested, and he completed two rehab treatments. After all of that, Robbie remembered the gospel that was shared with him by a friend when he was in college, and he was radically saved on November the 12th, 2002. Eight months later, David Platt, anybody know David Platt? A seminary student at the time and a church member, he asked Robbie to meet weekly for accountability, prayer, and Bible study. We call that here at Hillcrest discipling. And for the next two years, David instilled a passion for missions, expository preaching, and disciple making in Robbie Galilee's life. He even encouraged him to go back to school. He went to seminary, got his master's of divinity degree. 
got his PhD in expository preaching. And now his gospel conviction and his evangelistic zeal are demonstrated in a ministry where he makes disciples who make disciples. God did a work in this man's life that is now going through him. He was obedient to the Lord. David Platt was obedient to the Lord and discipled him. Now this ministry of Robbie's is affecting my own life and the life of this church with his great emphasis on personal discipleship. Do you see what I'm saying? The grace of God to Pastor Robbie did an amazing work in Pastor Robbie. He didn't just say, praise the Lord, I'm saved by grace. I get to sit on my pew and keep it warm every Sunday. No, he went on further to say, Lord, what would you have me do? Here I am, send me, I'll go. I don't know what God is calling you to do. But the idea is that we who have received the grace of God are to obey the Lord and make disciples as he has called us. When God saves a person, he saves them for obedience. Let's consider what Paul says to the Ephesians in chapter two. You have it on your sermon guide and it'll be on the screen. Verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, say it with me, for good works. Underline that. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, for a purpose. As it says here in Ephesians 2, four good works, and the good works were prepared beforehand. It's, it's as though God laid out our steps before us and we just walk in them. And my question to you today is, what is your next step? What is it that God's calling you to do today that heretofore you did not do? Jonah was given grace a second time. What is it that God is saying, do this? We need to be obedient. This leads to our final consideration because God's grace uh, to us, in us, is ultimately designed to go through us. God's grace to Jonah was seen in his giving Jonah a second chance. God's grace in Jonah was seen in Jonah's obedience to God. And then finally, God's grace through Jonah is seen in the response of the Ninevites. The Ninevites repent and are saved. Look with me at verse four and following. The Bible says there, Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and he called out yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Say what? They believed God? 
the people of Nineveh believed God? Wow. Behold the amazing grace of God. First to Jonah, then in Jonah, now through Jonah to the nations. God sends us. He saves us. And he gives us a message. He gives us what Isaiah will describe as beautiful feet on the mountains, taking the gospel of peace all around the world. And this man was obedient to God, and God did an amazing work through him. Let's look at how the Ninevites responded, beginning in verse 6. The Bible says there, the, the word reached the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. He issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. One man, one man devoted himself to obey the Lord and a whole nation has revival. One sinner saved by grace commits himself to God and a whole nation repents. What will God do with you if you give him your life? Because the only thing standing between a sinner and the eternal flames of hell, as I said, is one disciple sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who in here knows the gospel by show of hands. Who knows it? Look at the hands. What if we all left this room and shared it with one person? We titled this message, The Awesome Power of One. What if we just, what if we just reached one for Christ? The Bible says in Luke 15, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who need no repentance. Do you believe that? Man, if so, let's take it. Let's take it to the hedges and the highways. And what happens? What is the result when a sinner repents? What happens when a nation repents? Look at the final verse of chapter three, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. Perhaps the most beautiful verse in the whole book of Jonah. Every time, anytime, any sinner repents of their sin, the Bible says God relents, he gives grace, he forgives, and he gives you a, a mission. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
I dare say that in a room like this, every one of us has something to repent of today. There's some Ninevites in here who perhaps are far from God and not saved. Perhaps you need to hear the word of the Lord today that he has promised disaster on those who don't repent. Judgment is coming, just like it was coming to Nineveh. And the only way to avert the judgment of God is to turn from your sin and trust in Christ. We call that repentance and faith. Someone needs to get saved today. Do just exactly what the Ninevites did. Be sorry for your sins, confess to God that you're guilty and deserve punishment. Resolve in your heart to flee from your sins and trust in Christ to be your Lord and your Savior. And I promise you on the authority of God's word that if you repent, God will relent and he will not punish you. Jesus says the one who comes to him, he will in no wise cast out. They will never receive condemnation, but will pass from death to life. And likewise, there may be some Jonas in the room today. Some people who know the Lord, saved by grace, but currently not being obedient. We hear the Great Commission calling us to make disciples and to do for others what David Platt did for Robbie Gallaty, but we just say, no, thank you, I'll go to Tarshish. My charge to you today is to repent of your disobedience and rebellion, to turn away from your own apathy and obey the Lord. One application for somebody today is to go to the Next Step Center or to come here at the response time and say, I wanna be a disciple maker. I wanna be discipled. I wanna go on a mission trip to the nations. I wanna be used by God in whatever it is he's calling me to do. Never underestimate the power of God in the life of one disciple who's fully committed to him. He can change a nation. Anyone believe our nation needs some changing? I think so. What's gonna, where is it gonna come from? The world? The church is the, is the light of the world. It's the city set on a hill. And so we need to let our light shine for the Lord. Others of us need to go right next door or right across the street and tell one person about Jesus. One application today, if I could beg you, I'm like, this is as close as I'm gonna get to begging right here. Tell someone about Jesus this week. Tell them your testimony. Invite them to church. Do you know that the only thing, I've said it a couple times already, the only thing standing between a sinner and the eternal flames of hell is somebody sharing the gospel with them? What if Jonah never went to Nineveh? God knew what would happen. And God knows what will happen if we never open our mouth and share the good news with someone who's lost. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, these words, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Brothers and sisters, God is gracious. He resends disobedient messengers. He is patient and he sends us again even when we've been disobedient the first time. And disciples who have the grace of God in their life, they go wherever God sent them and they obey. And we have the high honor to make disciples of Jesus Christ and so he commissions us to make disciples and to go and share the gospel. And when we do, sinners hear the gospel, they believe it, and they are saved because our God does amazing things through one life totally committed to him. Y'all believe that? This is God's word, and all who agree say amen.